Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Vienna, Virginia. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. Indeed, Los Angeles. About to fly to Chicago. About to fly to Chicago tomorrow morning. Can't wait. I'm going to pack up all my cold weather shit. I knew that we were rolling <laughs> the dice by doing a late October in Chicago. Um, and it looks like those dice have come up. Not quite snake eyes, but it's not going to be good. It's going to be below freezing at night and it is going to be raining. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, that's cold. Okay. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to, but Chicago is a good cold weather town anyway. So we're going to have fun and I don't think we're going to venture too far from the campus. So it'll be good. Yeah, we, we will be good. We're going to have pizza that first night. Maybe. Hell yeah. We're going to have pizza. I'm hoping I can make it out there in time for that. Cause I definitely require some deep dish pizza in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. So today on the show, we're going to have an email from Penn State in which they messed up people's names. Um, we have a question <laughs> that says, should I talk about why I want to go to law school in my personal statement? Maybe. Hmm. Okay. We are going to murder Augie's personal statement, and we're going to compare Trent's old and new personal statements. So Trent is a student who ended up working with us. And that was fun. So you can always email us at help at thinking LSAT. By the way, um, going forward, we'd like you, if you're willing, to send us your selfies. Um, they could be of your study group. They could just be of you. Uh, any funny picture you have of yourself, include it with your question if you want to, and it might make it into the uh, Instagram, our Instagram, our Twitter, whatever. So thank you very and don't much. Don't send us your Tinder selfies because you'll offend our gatekeeper, Sarah, but um, just, you know, these are study selfies, not any other kind of selfies. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Hey, kids these days. Yeah, you clarify. Never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so if you have not joined us on Facebook, you should. Um, it's just the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. We now have over a thousand members, a thousand and nine to be exact. Uh, that's the best place to get the latest LSAT news. As soon as anyone gets some crazy email or some notification, of course, they post it in there and people jump all over it. So go there if you haven't done so already. You can always give the Thinking LSAT Facebook page a like. You can also tweet us at Thinking LSAT or Nathan at N Fox or me at Olson Benjamin. Uh, we also both provide classes. I'm in Washington, D.C. at strategyprep.com and Nathan is in L.A. and San Francisco at foxlsat.com. We also both do one-on-one tutoring and have online classes as well. We have our joint project, which is the LSAT Demon. We continue to hammer away at that and try to make it better every day. People keep signing up and giving us feedback, so thank you very much. I want to say that's helped a lot, so please keep that going, and we will try to keep helping you as much as we can. Um, let's see here. So we have some announcements. I want to say that Strategy Prep, my operation, has moved a couple blocks away from where we were before. And I discovered that we are down the hall from the ABA, the American Bar Association. Wow. Are you going to go knock on the door and tell them what's up? Well, so actually today, as I was leaving the office, I saw that they were having a meeting, which is going on right now. And the name of this meeting is, oh, you know what? (laughs) 
it's not the name of the meeting. The name of the meeting is something stupid. But I didn't realize that the tagline for the American Bar Association is defending liberty, pursuing justice. It's no wonder that people try to, you know, incorporate these lofty ideas into their personal statement, even though they should avoid them like the plague. The American Bar Association is defending liberty and pursuing justice. Okay. Yeah, apparently. And going bankrupt at the same time. According to them. (laughs) Yeah. And going bankrupt, according to Riaz. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And um, another announcement, Thomas Jefferson is not admitting a spring class. I just saw this this morning. It was uh, on Above the Law. They always like to put these clickbait headlines, you know, like, which law school is not enrolling a class? And it's like, um, you could fucking tell me in the headline. Yeah. Uh, I'm a sucker, so I clicked and (laughs) I learned that uh, Thomas Jefferson is not admitting a spring class this year. It's not Hmm. as big of a deal. It's not like they're not admitting one else, but they are they have always had a spring class and a fall class, I guess. Hmm. And uh, they are not admitting a spring class this year. Uh, The take on Above the Law was this is a, you know, actually a responsible decision they're making that they're going to downsize their classes and stop admitting people who have such horrible chances of getting employment, you know, passing the bar, getting employment. Uh, I also read that, that above the law, um, I'm sure somebody will post it to the Facebook group, but that above the law article was really damning. I mean, it was like 91% of the class accumulates debt of almost Mm. Mm $200,000. And then it was like 29% employment or something like that. So it was just like, Oh God. Yeah, what? Like twenty like twenty nine percent legal employment coming out of Thomas Jefferson. Oh, okay, yeah. It's all in the it's all in the um, above the law article. But anyway, it uh, that's I mean that's a good sign for students. I think it's it's a bad sign for Thomas Jefferson. Obviously, they are you know struggling, and uh, we'll see whether they keep their ABA accreditation because they have been on probation very recently. And so we'll see if your neighbors down the hall, Ben, um, you know, really put the hammer down on Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> they looked but, pretty uh, casual in their little uh, gathering that they were having. So it didn't look like a war room. No. Well, it was interesting because one of the guys that was going in there, he had jeans on and like a button down shirt that was tucked in. Kind of oh, interesting yeah. attire that I thought, you know, for that's yeah, I don't like that look. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm an untucked guy. Or if you're going to tuck it in, you got to wear, it's not jeans. I don't yeah. Know. No, I'm a, uh, yeah. I'm not a t-shirt just, guy. I used to wear button down shirts. I gave that up when I got divorced. You're just a t-shirt. Yeah, you are. You're just, a, you're very casual. You're just a t-shirt guy these days. That's yeah. great. I like that look. Um, I, I was in my hometown, uh, for just very briefly that I, I go, I go to my hometown for like 36 hours max yeah. at a time. Um, it, and I uh, like saw my family, grandparents, and stuff. It's like great, but then I, uh, <laughs> I just noticed the. I was I took my grandma out for lunch, and I'm sitting there at lunch, and all these dudes keep coming into this restaurant we're we're at with the like flat kind of flannelly looking button down shirt, which I sometimes wear those, but I wear them you know untucked and like super casual and. These dudes were wearing these like flannelly button down shirts tucked into their like tight Wranglers with like mm. a belt. Hmm. And 
like boots, you know, it's just very, that cowboy look, but they, I just don't know why these dudes are tucking in their shirts. Like, do you really want, you're out there like roping calves or whatever. You don't need to have your shirt tucked in for that. I don't get it. Uh, I don't get it either. I don't get it. It's ironic that like you, the place you tuck in your shirt is like a wedding, a golf course. And apparently when you're like milking cows, I don't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Those, me, those but, are the but, three only places, by the way. So if you're doing it outside of that, you're breaking one of life's rules. Or, or like a courtroom, you know? It's like, which one of these does yeah, not match? A courtroom. a courtroom, a wedding, a like fancy country club, or a dairy farm? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Somebody needs to talk to these cowboys and figure out why they're talking in their shirts. I don't, I, I would think that life on the range, you know, when you're blasting around your pickup truck, listening to country music, part of that, you know, chewing tobacco, you would think that you wouldn't need, you would feel free to not tuck in your shirt. But these guys just, they, it's uniform. You have to. I think you need to go back to your hometown and figure it out for us, Nathan. Yeah, I've been thinking about doing an expose. There you go. Somebody hmm. needs to crack the code on this. We're, we'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. Okay. You know, this is interesting. Uh, we got this email sent from John and Chloe. Thank you, John and Chloe. It's from Penn State Law, and it says, Dear, what is that even called, that that symbol? Oh, the, it's the squiggly bracket. <laughs> it's a squiggly or yeah, yeah, parentheses or bracket, but it's, a squig- it's the squiggly one. Everybody <laughs> knows what that looks like. Yeah, so dear squiggly bracket, contacts dot first name, close squiggly bracket, comma. So... <laughs> Clearly, there was some failure here with their email sending system, which, um, you know, that happens, I guess. I'm guessing I probably send out emails that look like that sometimes, too. Yeah. That's, I mean, technology is magic, and we expect it to do magic things, but sometimes it fucks up, and I, I... <laughs> I probably live in a glass house, so I shouldn't throw stones about that particular issue so what i am going to throw a stone at is their use of the word include with a colon are you ready for this yeah yeah i can't wait okay so we could rip the rest of it to shreds but yeah do we (laughs) i was wondering if we should just jump ahead with this one because we have those two personal statements i didn't know if they would take a long time we'll see okay so this i'm jumping down to the third bullet point right It says, students build networks and explore professional interests in our varied student organizations, comma, which include colon. And then they have some more bullet points and they list uh, some of their varied student organizations. Which are also at every other school in the world. But yes. uh Yes. Oh, good point. Um, The problem here, and this is a mistake that a lot of people make. So this is your PSA for today, your grammar PSA, your GPSA. Uh, it says, which include colon. Colon is like an equals sign. So the things that come after it have to be equal to the word that comes immediately before the colon. Uh, so really what you need to say here is which include the following, and then you have the colon. And so the following is referring to those things that come after it. That's the rule. Hmm. I don't like that rule. Okay. You don't have to like the rule, but that is the rule. 
So if you're going to become an attorney, which <laughs> neither of us are, <laughs> and submit a brief to the court, um, that's a rule you might want to consider. Now, I don't like that phrasing. I mean, you're adding words to that's comply what I'm with saying. the rule. Yeah. But there are ways to reword this sentence to Could you just get rule. rid of which include? Yes, exactly. Our varied student organizations, colon. Yes, exactly. And then you have the varied student organizations, which equal the list of things that come immediately after that phrase. I see. Okay. So we could have made it shorter. Yeah. And notice the rule prompt us to think about that. I don't like the first sentence of okay. the entire email. Yeah, it's got a long ass list of things there. It's just there. gross. The Penn State, I mean, what is the purpose of this email? This email is like, we are diverse. Mm-hmm. Which... Who, what law school is not diverse? Right. This is, oh, and it's an email coming from the Associate Dean for Diversity and Inclusion. Which, as we have complained about on the show before... You know, diversity is frequently used as an excuse to rip off a broader a group of people. Yeah. And by the way, I should say one thing. Uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of schools, um, I guess, want to be diverse. So this is very unsurprising, right? They may not be diverse, but they want to be. So the fact that a law school is pushing this is not going to distinguish it. Right. Every every law school, I think, wants to be diverse. Every yeah. law school wants, but I mean, that's because that's for two reasons. That's because they want to pursue diversity for its own end, which I believe we should. It's also so that they can have more customers, so that they can rip more people off. Yep. And to the extent that they are sometimes lowering admission standards in order to admit a diverse class, I'm not saying they shouldn't do that, but I am saying they should probably be giving scholarship money when they do. Because otherwise they are going to just end up with a bunch of people who have preferentially bad outcomes because they have lower LSAT scores and GPAs coming in. Yeah. Well, this is not a new rant for me. But anyway, this first sentence, the Penn State law community reflects our mission of diversity. Already I'm hating that. Like, what? Yeah. What do you mean the community reflects our mission of diversity? What? <laughs> you have a mission of diversity? What is this even? How, what are we? How is that? that what, what's, how do we describe that? It's like non, just kind of warm, fuzzy, nice words put together in a way that's not actually really saying anything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what they're trying to say is that their, their walk matches their talk, right? They're trying to say that you can look at our community and see that we have results that are consistent with our goals, but they're saying it in some abstract way. And yeah, they're saying it in the most conclusory way that anybody could say, you know, our community reflects our mission of diversity and the acceptance of differences in take a breath, thought, background, age, life experience, gender, race, abilities, region, and culture. Religion. Wait, Oh, not region, (laughs) religion (laughs) and culture. Yeah. I would like to share with you some of the ways that we celebrate, support, and strengthen. <laughs> you you love those lists, don't you, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Good good job, Penn State. You're super diverse. Like, like this this email, I mean, the fact that you have a black law students association differentiates you from exactly zero other law schools. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know who you're trying to fool with this, but... 
It's, I mean, it's nice. Hey, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all for diversity. Just this, <laughs> this email just seems like a, just seems like marketing spam, which I guess is exactly what it is. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Moving on. Yeah, no problem. Um, you want to take this next one? Oh, sure. Hello, please do not use my name, smiley face. I have received contradicting advice from professors whether I need to address why I want to go to law school in my personal statement. Some say that it is unnecessary and redundant. Law schools know that you want to go to law school, obviously, or else why would you be applying? Other professors say that I need to explain why I want to go. I personally do not have some deep, dark, meaningful reason for wanting to go, and I do not think that you need one. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks for reading. Love the show, especially when you read people's personal statements. L-M-A-O. Okay. Thanks, L-M-A-O. So let's start with this comment. I do not think that I need to have some deep, dark, meaningful reason for wanting to go to law Mm. school. Anytime you're about to shell out hundreds of thousands of dollars or at least the opportunity cost of earning similar amounts of money, you should have a reason for doing so. It doesn't have to be a deep, dark reason. Sure, that's... And in fact, if you do have a deep, dark reason, like you're going to become some um, attorney supervillain or something, you probably don't want to put that into your personal statement unless you're like applying to Yale. But if you... Is, that, is there some joke that I need to catch there? Uh, Yale has sort of a reputation as being like the, uh, you know, where the real conservatives come from. Real conservatives? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, is that deep and dark? I didn't know Potentially. conservatives were dark. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm, I'm more conservative than you are, so. That's um, true. I'll keep That's listening <laughs> to That's the <true>. show. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the Kavanaugh's of the world. Uh, did yeah. he go to Yale? He did, right? I don't know. I'm sure he did. Anyway, I don't care, dude. I really, I don't, I don't <laughs> give a shit about politics. Uh, so if you, no, I mean, it's a joke. If you have, if you have a deep, dark reason let's not put that in there, but a meaningful reason. Yeah. You need (laughs) to have a reason. You're going to spend three years of your life doing what I think most people would consider painful stuff. I hope you have a reason for going. And it, and not like I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid. Oh no. Pursue justice and defend. I want to pursue justice and, and whatever, not, (laughs) Also not, I think it's a good career. The average lawyer makes $100,000. That's a bad reason. Well, wait, isn't that what you can find when you Google? That is what you find when you Google because that's what all the law schools say because all the law <laughs> schools are trying to rip you off. I mean, you you need to know what lawyers do and want to do that work. That should be your meaningful reason. Yeah. So <laughs> now let's let's address the actual issue, which people I'm sure are wondering. Um do you need to put that into your personal statement? Do you need to put it in your personal statement? No, you don't need to put it into your personal statement. It is not necessary. No. But I do think that it is helpful sometimes. Yeah, it shows that you're serious. Yeah, and and f- certain candidates, I think, need to, like, 
not need, but I think certain candidates benefit from putting it in there more than others. Mm-hmm. Some sometimes your career path just already makes it look inevitable that law school is the next step for you. Yeah. Or I don't know, even sometimes when you're just right out of undergrad and you don't really have a very confusing story. Like if you're if you're just like a history major coming out of undergrad and go straight to law school, I don't think you really need to describe why you want to go to law school. Sure. Because you look like everyone else and they know that you're go- like you just you, you kind of look like you were on the law school path. So you don't really need to convince anybody. Yeah. The times where it seems hmm. I heard Ann say it in class one time that like if you have a, you know, let's you're a concert pianist. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just going to say musician. Right. And and you have been, you know, a professional musician for 10 years and you're clearly like passionate about music. Well, at that point, the why law school question, I think, becomes a little more a little more pressing because the reader is naturally wondering, like, wow, you have all this great you've done all these great things like you had you had such a promising career doing this other thing. And now the reader is, I think, naturally skeptical or just going like, wow, why would you why do you want to do this now? Yeah. And so there I think it can be helpful to try to tie it all together to make your whole package make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, other people that should just leave it out, especially if they really don't have like great reasons. Yeah. If you don't have a great reason, don't talk about it. Talk about your skills. Yeah. It's supposed to be about you. They're trying to get to know you, but sometimes they really want to know why you, if you have, you know, like what it depends, what your story is, you have to think about the whole package. And if your whole story doesn't really seem to be pointing at all toward law school, like you haven't done anything in your life that would demonstrate that law school is the next thing for you, then you might want to try to just sort of make it make sense for the reader. You know, here's, here's why I'm doing this or here's how this makes sense for me. Here's what I see my next step as. Yeah. And that can be as little as just a sentence, right? It does you don't have to go on and on about it, mm-hmm. but to try to tie what you've done to law school as the next inevitable step, um, I think it can be very powerful when it works. So I don't think it's necessary, but I do think it can be helpful in certain circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. We always ask people, right? As part of our personal statement review package, which you can sign up for at thinkinglset.com, one of the first things we do is we ask you why you, because we want to know what skill or experience you're going to try to highlight in the personal statement. But we also ask you why law school. And we just want to know for our own benefit. Um, and then we may or may not recommend that you use that in the personal statement. Yeah. Next one. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, Hello, boy. Here ben. we go. Yeah, hello, Ben and Nathan. Hearing you two rip apart personal statements helped me write my own. As I was writing, I imagined the pair of you reading my statement on the podcast. It really helped me. Now that I'm almost done with my personal statement, I hope that you will make my thought experiment a reality. Can you please read and destroy my personal statement? I have attached it below. For me, studying for the LSAT was lonely. No one understood the brutal yet addicting (laughs) nature of the LSAT. (laughs) Both of you validated my love-hate relationship with the LSAT and put a smile on my face. For that, I just became a patron. Sincerely, Augie. Thanks, Augie. Thanks for thanks for patronizing us. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate that. Every dollar we get. 
helps keep the lights on here at Thinking LSAT. So thank you very much. Yeah. All right. You ready for this? Can't wait. Okay. After high school, I deferred my acceptance to Villanova University and took a gap year to travel alone to Australia. Hate it. All right. N- next statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I actually, I'm, I, that was sort of for effect, but I, yeah. I don't want to picture you as a high schooler. Yeah. 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 So why are we, I'm, you're in high school now. Yep. I want to hear about you as an adult doing an adult thing and taking a gap year is not, <laughs> that's not an adult thing. I mean, I, <laughs> I was on campus the other day, Ben at Santa mm-hmm. Clara mm-hmm. to do like a promo, just a little class there introducing the LSAT class. Yeah. And every time I go back these days to a college campus, I cannot believe how young everyone looks. Mm. Yeah. Like I, you could have, if you would have said, Hey, are you on high school campus or are you on a college campus? I would have probably guessed high school. Like it just, they just seem so young. <clears throat> they seem so immature, you know, just the, the, the conversations that I hear them having. And so you just have to understand that like old folks are, are perceiving you as extremely young, all of your college experiences, you think that they are much more adult than older people think they are. So when you start writing in your personal statement about college or high school experiences, your older adult readers are going to be immediately just picturing a child. And that's not what they're looking for, really, when they're trying to decide whether they're going to admit you to law school. Yeah. Take a moment to even just think about the difference between you as a freshman in college and you as a senior in college. How much change took place there? And what kind of experiences did you have as a senior that were different from your experiences as a freshman? I mean, those are the kind of experiences you want to be talking about. Presumably, we're working forward and taking on bigger and more interesting challenges as we get older. Yeah. And now that said, I mean, this this could turn out to be a really interesting story. This is a pretty brave move here, at, you know, right after high school, before college, sure. just traveling alone to Australia for a year. Yep. Well, that's that's intense. But I like the next sentence a lot better than the first sentence, actually. I do, too. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. You're, I'm so, boring you. I know. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with you or this. Yeah. Sorry. Just tired. Anyway, so um, next sentence. I had to earn my own money for this adventure. So I took a bus to the docks of Massachusetts to look for work on a deep sea crab fishing boat. Cool. I like that it's very factual. Yeah. And that's just like. Now I'm seeing you as this like roughneck deep sea crab fisherman, which mm. is, you know, I wonder if you tucked your flannel shirt into your jeans while you're doing <laughs> this work. It sounds like you probably would. Um, but, you know, I just that's just more that seems so much more adult than the words high school, especially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, after like just leave the words, even if you just leave the words after high school, you know, just put before I started at Villanova University. Yeah, yeah. You have to think about the optics of it, right? Okay. Yeah. Let's see here. This Augie continues. I had heard the money was good, and I wanted to challenge myself. After several new Bedford fishermen flatly rejected me, I felt low. After another day of the same rejections, I began to wonder if I was being reasonable, naive, or just stupid. 
But on the third day, I found a captain who decided to take a chance on me. I worked on a deep sea crab fishing boat on the open ocean for two and a half weeks and earned enough money to buy a plane ticket to Australia. Okay, so this was cool up until the two and a half weeks, at least for mm-hmm. me. I was like, wait, that's it's not a lot of hard work. <laughs> no, at that point, I'm not interested anymore. I don't care. Hmm. Okay, so this person continues. To get that job, I had to run the gauntlet of awkward face-to-face conversations. They were difficult and uncomfortable, but I learned that pushing through the rejections can open doors. I learned the power of difficult conversations. Okay, you're you're making this way more awesome than it is. And then the problem yeah. with overselling is then it makes what could be decently awesome look lame. Like if you say to someone, hey, look, I'm going to bring you a Tesla, and then you show up with an Accord, it's a bummer. But if you say, <laughs> I'm going to bring you you know, a bike, and then you say it's actually an Accord, they're jumping up and down. So like, anyways, don't oversell. <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. If, if, if you had... You know, if you cut all of this down to one sentence and put mm-hmm. it somewhere in your personal statement that you worked on a deep sea crab fishing boat to earn yourself money for a plane ticket to Australia where you went for a year on your own before you started at Villanova, maybe that's going to need to be chopped up into two sentences, but only leave the facts there. Yeah. Not and, the editorializing on those facts. Uh, yep, and leave out the two and a half weeks. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't mention just don't that. Don't mention that. <laughs> nope. The fact that you set foot on a deep sea crab fishing boat is pretty badass. Until you say that you were only there for two and a half weeks, at which point I am like just rolling my eyes, like, why are you wasting my time telling yeah. me about this story? Yeah. But you can, by all means, use it. Just don't. <laughs> Don't under don't don't shoot yourself in the foot by saying you were only there for two and a half weeks and then going on and on about how hard it was to get the job. <laughs> Sorry, you know what I mean? Like, man, push! I had to push through all these all this rejection. It was so intense. It's like okay, but you say right here that it was three days that it took you to get a job, <laughs> three days. and then. <laughs> Wow, boy, you really tried hard. Three days to to get the job, and then you stayed for two and a half weeks, and then jetted off to Australia. Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What else you got? Okay. Um, In my freshman year at Villanova, I learned why these conversations feel so difficult. Mm, I don't. I don't want to. Really. You're a freshman. You're 19 years old, having difficult conversations. I don't care all right sorry go ahead uh, yeah that's okay let's see where this goes i had decided to run for class president and went campaigning door to door at the first dorm room i stuttered i rambled and i even tried to give high fives (laughs) (laughs) don't touch me (laughs) don't touch me door to door salesman (laughs) i tried but i failed (laughs) hmm As the door closed, the door, okay, as the door closed, I could hear the giggles erupting from behind me. I felt embarrassed. Mm, From behind you in the hallway? I guess, 
Augie as you turn around. your back now, and then the d- giggles are from they're from behind the door. Yeah, I imagine. You, okay, you must have been walking away at that point. Um, I felt embarrassed. Augie. You know what? This is the second time that Augie has said I felt blank. Yeah. In the first paragraph, we had I felt low, mm-hmm. and here we now have I felt embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Stop telling me how you felt. You can show me how you felt. And you already did when you the door is closing in your face and there's giggling behind the door. I know how you feel. Yeah, no, that's great. So um, you already showed me, and now you're like ramming it down my throat with I felt embarrassed. Yeah. Don't stop doing that. Yeah. I'm not yelling just at you, Augie. I'm yelling at everyone who writes a personal statement. <laughs> it's like the tear dripped down my face. And I felt sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My mom and dad had just died in a fiery plane crash. I felt sad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Augie continues. I wanted to be the smart, confident, and charismatic leader who won in a landslide. That was unlikely. But I knew that while I was not all of those things, I could be the most dedicated and hardworking candidate. You know, interesting thing about Augie here is Augie is a good writer when it comes to grammar, the length of the sentences, Mm -hmm. and so forth, right? All of this is really clean. Um, Mm -hmm. It's clear. This is plain English writing. So what Augie is good at is the style. What Augie Mm -hmm. is not good at is the message. Yep, 100%. And unfortunately, that's way more important than style but style is important we definitely have people who have good messages but they get buried in horrible writing so augie we're gonna have to think about what you should actually be talking about not this not this yeah okay augie continues the landslide was unlikely but i knew that while i was not all of those things i could be the most dedicated and hardworking candidate if i wanted to beat the 12 other candidates i would have to knock on more doors Oh, this is like underdog story, but not that exciting. I returned, it's so obvious. It's yeah. just so predictable. Yeah. Let me guess. You lose? <laughs> <Tell that>. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do, you definitely learn something from it. Yeah. Or you win. I returned to the doors again, and it became easier. I became smoother. I relaxed. And I noticed that instead of exchanging sly smiles with their roommates, people started nodding along with me. I won that election. And the next two after that, because I worked harder than the other candidates. Oh, 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 it's so cliche. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe you worked harder. You know, there are people who work smarter too. So this isn't necessarily (laughs) the end all be all. Um, I chose to push through those difficult conversations rather than hide from them. Mm, you're just milking this way too much. Yeah, again, the overselling. Yeah. Okay. I have come to realize that those conversations were difficult because I was too concerned with what people thought of me. The dorm room conversations exposed this insecurity. Still with these dorm room conversations, really? Yeah, and the also... whole long paragraph wasn't enough? We're going more? Okay. We've talked about this before, but notice that Augie has said, I felt low, I felt embarrassed, I um, have insecurities. It's fine that you're not perfect. None of us are, but we need to focus more on your strengths. Yeah, um, totally, totally. Why are you, Why are you rambling on about your insecurities? 
Yeah, let's highlight them. I mean, you have you have you have five hundred words to highlight something. Let's not focus on your negatives. <laughs> yeah. We all have them. We all have them, as you know. Nathan and I have more than our fair share. But oh God, yeah. Augie continues. As I became more confident in who I was, the dorm room conversations became easier. We just have to believe you on this. I learned that the difficult conversations were often challenging because they highlight an insecurity, saying it again. In my case, the desire to be liked. (sighs) I would have never grown past this if I hadn't forced myself back into this situation, into the situations. Oh, your first first mistake there. Like stylistically difficult conversations gave me the opportunity to become a better person. I learned why difficult conversations were challenging, but I still don't didn't appreciate the art of difficult conversations. This is, uh, you're saying nothing. You're just saying like, you're not telling us facts. You're just telling us these vague lessons or platitudes that you've gleaned. Anyone can say you, this. You've said the word difficult 10 times and the word conversations 10 times. We get it. These were difficult conversations. In one sentence, the one detail of the giggles behind the door. Yeah. Keep that and get rid of all the rest of this shit. If this is, is this, even a story that should be told, right? I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly. That it should be. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you decide to keep any of this, keep the giggles and lose all of those two paragraphs. <laughs> yeah. Well, the giggles is a nice, like, showing detail. It is. It shows that it was a hard conversation you just had and embarrassing. You know it's I'll, embarrassing if someone's closing the door and giggling at you. That's, we also know it was difficult. There's so many ways you can just show that this was difficult and embarrassing. That's, without saying it. Mm-hmm. And you could just then say something like, but I kept knocking on the doors and I won the election. Okay, good. Then what did you do as president of whatever this organization was? Like, Can we please see you as like an executive adult person? I don't really want to see you as a shy freshman knocking on the doors. At least not very long, I don't want to. Yeah, so this was class president, so... What'd you Class do? president. What did you promise? Mm. How did you start learning how to talk to people? Like all you say is that you learned how to push through these difficult conversations. I want to know, like, what changed when you showed up at their door? Um, you were trying to give them high fives, and then you stopped trying to do that and said what? What did you say that made people want to talk to you or not start giggling at you? There's so much detail here that could be provided that's not. Yeah. And what did it do for you in your adult life? Mm -hmm. You know, like beyond when you were a freshman, you said you won three elections. Okay. Well, for what, what did those elections do for you? What, tell me about you and your executive capacity as, you know, high and mighty class president. What does that mean anything? Or is this just a popularity contest? (laughs) By the way, this is on your resume, isn't it? That you were class president. Yeah. One line. So, so, so what? You and everyone else applying to law school was class president. So, what of it? <laughs> um, to be fair, I did run for class president my freshman year and lost. Um, Bert, let's see. So, because you're not you're not a lawyer, you're not cut out to be a yeah, lawyer. I, well, I couldn't I couldn't appreciate the art of difficult conversations. Mm. Sorry, Augie. Let's continue. It says, but during the summer of 2018, okay, that's recent, I grew to love the art of difficult conversations. I worked as the head counselor for the Chuwanki Camp for Boys. If you have ever been to summer camp, you know that meals are (sighs) hyper-competitive. 
Okay. Campers scramble for their second helpings and bicker about whether the food is equally divided. Early in the summer, there wasn't enough food, so something needed to be done. Unfortunately, Bill, the head chef, terrified the staff because he was prone to shout at counselors. Okay, this is not about you. I had some experience with difficult conversations, so... Oh, my gosh. Stop saying difficult conversations. (laughs) If you say it one more time. (laughs) That's going to be the name of this podcast. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I called up my courage. Called up your courage. Wow. Hey, sup? (laughs) (laughs) Want to come over? (laughs) So I called up my courage and asked him... (laughs) Oh, ask him. Now it does sound like your courage is a him. Wow. What's up, dude? Want to come over? Want to come come play some video games? What do you think about the lack of food? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I called up my courage and asked him, presumably the chef, about Uh the lack of food. He immediately dismissed the question, saying that the kids had all they needed. End of story. The counselors patted me on the back and thanked me for trying, but this did not sit well with me, so I decided to change tactics. I went to the vice president of Chuanki, parentheses Nancy. Okay. I don't, that's awkward. awkward. You don't need to say her first name, really, or you could do it in some different way, but not like that. No. You could put Nancy, comma, the vice president of Chuanki. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that would be a lot smoother. And we set up a meeting with Bill. Okay, so now you're like the annoying counselor. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, I have a complaint. Instead of just just solving it. But anyways, as Nancy... Also, just what kind of a camp is this? (laughs) (laughs) I grew up... I'm not like... I didn't grow up rich. But I did go to camp, like, for a week in the summer. And I don't think we were having any lack of food yeah i don't know maybe camp's different in different places did you ever go to camp um i feel like i did i must have gone to camp sometime you don't remember any starvation while you were there i did scouting so we were hungry a lot but the things i remember were uh, we went on 50 milers in yosemite um that's different yeah (laughs) so that was we were hungry because we didn't have we couldn't carry the food in. I'm trying to remember if we went to camp, though. I don't remember going to camp. All right. Anyways, um, <clears throat> where are we? Okay. Okay. As Nancy It's a started- big meeting. It's a big summit meeting between Nancy and Bill <laughs> about the food. <laughs> These are so good. I hope people keep sending them in. <laughs> so, so this continues. As Nancy started to talk about the lack of food at mealtimes, Bill shut down. He started. He stared at the ground, grunting monosyllabic answers to Nancy's question. Uh, here, I just straight don't believe you. Yeah, and it feels like you're trying to use big words. Yeah, this is uh, this just. I I just. Uh, I'm sorry, but I do not believe that he was literally grunting monosyllabic answers to Nancy's questions. It just doesn't sound. Even if it's true, this is one of those details where even if it's true, it's too much. Don't say it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Augie continues. Observing Bill's body language, I realized that he was feeling attacked. (laughs) No shit. 
He's staring at the ground, grunting monosyllabic <laughs> answers. He's the chef, and he's being accused of not providing enough food. Of course, your one you job. Just, you have this amazing realization that Bill is feeling attacked. That's the purpose of the meeting that you called. I mean, I don't. Hmm. I gently asked. Gently, that's an adverb there. I gently mm. asked Bill what he thought the problem was, and for the first time. We listened to Bill's side. It would have been nice to listen to him before you called this meeting. He told us that another member of the leadership team had asked him to cut down on food waste, which led to smaller portions. This was new information to us, and we were able to clarify Chowanki's expectations for the kitchen. Chowanki? Like as in the camp? Mm, yeah. The conversation turned from contentious to cooperative. Oh. <laughs> so Augie continues. I'm so happy that this, I mean, because, you know, this could have been a real disaster here, but it, it's, I'm, I'm so glad it turned out, it all turned out for the good. Uh, okay. After that, things changed in the kitchen. Bill said that he appreciated the chance to tell his side of the story. He felt heard. The amount yeah, of food... You already in- said that. <laughs> you already said that. That's our, like, this is... Th- several times here, Augie is, like, just... We're in a new paragraph. I'm, like, desperate for something different. I'm desperate for, like, a new story. Yeah. Basically, something less trivial is what I really want. And instead, it's, like... We're going to just keep talking about the same essentially trivial issue. <laughs> yeah. You, you already said for the first time we listened to Bill's side. Yep. We, we know that he appreciated the chance to tell. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. You have very limited time to tell about yourself. Don't be redundant. <laughs> yeah. The amount of food increased because we were finally able to understand the root of the problem. Yeah. We understood that. I learned that active listening and observation is imperative to identify that root. Redundant. I felt proud to be part of that process. And I feel drawn to the challenge of dealing with more difficult topics and situations. Okay. Well, I, I would love to hear about more difficult topics and situations. Yes. <laughs> Especially more difficult ones. The great Chiwanki food crisis of 2018 is not... <laughs> like. <laughs> That's not what I want to hear about. <laughs> I realize how powerful difficult conversations can be. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Look how many times it says difficult conversations in this paragraph. <laughs> Holy well, shit. This sentence is amazing. This first sentence. Read the whole first well, sentence. Well, that's why I paused because I, I thought there was supposed to be a period here. No, this is incredible. I realize we have par- a contender. We have a contender for most obnoxious sentence ever submitted to the Thinking Else That podcast. Here it is. All right. Everyone listen up. I realize how powerful difficult conversations can be, comma. I understand why difficult conversations are difficult, <laughs> comma. And I gravitate toward the art of difficult conversations. <laughs> <laughs> You just said that, you just gave us three independent clauses, and each one was part of one sentence, and each one discussed 
difficult conversations. It says difficult conversations three times and says the word difficult a fourth time. Yeah. All in one sentence. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And the next sentence says it again. Oh my gosh. Law school will help me become better at difficult conversations, comma, and I believe that this will improve my ability to help people. I will approach law school with the same confidence, introspection, and grit that has created opportunities for me in the past, such as more food. (laughs) Sorry, I added that. Um, (laughs) Continuing. I know enough about myself to know that I don't know enough, but I am hungry to learn. Unlike the campers at Chuanki. <laughs> no longer. <laughs> My hardworking attitude and thirst to improve will make me a diligent student and an effective lawyer. So that last sentence, by the way, is the like prime example of telling yep. and not showing. I I cannot do anything except believe you. I just have to believe that you have a hardworking attitude and that you have a thirst to improve and that because you have those things that will make you a diligent student and an effective lawyer. I, he's he's hungry to learn by the way in the second to the last sentence and then he's thirsty to improve in the last sentence. Mm, so he's got he's hungry his and, and thirst. thirst covered. <laughs> yeah. You eat and you drink, which is yeah, great. I'm also a tiny bit sleepy <laughs> and <laughs> And hungover. Uh, my arm is kind of itchy. I don't know. I think I need to go to the dermatologist. Um, but yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was describing all of his, you know, bodily needs here. Yeah. <sighs> uh, you know, <laughs> did did Augie show hard work in this piece? Um, frankly, no, I mean, repeatedly banging on doors. That's the closest he got. That's the closest he got and asking someone else to solve his food problem. Thirst. (laughs) Yeah. Being annoying and and setting up a meeting that probably didn't need to happen. Going above the chef's head to the vice president of Juwanki. I guess that does kind of make you look like a lawyer because lawyers are just kind of a pain in the ass. But they are like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean they are like that. So I, you know, maybe that's actually good. But because um, I imagine that was a difficult conversation. You made everybody miserable around you. Um, you know, at that in that meeting at least, <laughs> <laughs> or at least you for sure made Bill miserable. I'm sure Nancy was like, "Oh, great." <laughs> yeah, Nancy's like, "Oh, fuck." <laughs> Counselors pissed off at the chef. God damn it. <laughs> All right, come on, get in here. Let's get this over with. Huh? (laughs) Let's get this over with. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, she's just, what the, how do we get, god damn it. Yeah, I got so many other things on my plate. Now we have to fight about the food supply. You know, this is, okay, so what do we know about Augie? What's our impression of Augie after this? I have one, my, Augie to me now seems real young. In fact, I know he's real young, which he, he just has to be really young. Yeah. Right. Because now he's a camp counselor in the summer of 2018. Um, you know, he, he, so Augie is like really like 22. So here's here's the weird thing, too, about talking about something from just after you got out of high school and then talking about this camp thing is that 
I walk away from this statement saying, is this all you had to tell me? Like, what else have you been doing? Um, or what else are you interested in or passionate about? If this is, it, I know it's not all that you have to say, but the assumption is that you're choosing among your best experiences or passions to write in these personal statements. And so if this is what you give me, I'm wondering if there's nothing more, what, what do you have to offer? I would much rather hear about the crab boat, even though it was only two and a half weeks. You don't really need to say that in your personal statement. Yeah. That you can just write the whole thing about the misery of being on the crab boat. I think that would be better than this because it would make you look like an adult. I think if you wrote about even like travels around Australia for a year, what was that like <clears throat> with a backpack and just at least then I would be learning something new about a new place and it would just be like a story that I care about. Yeah. But making such a, gr- a giant drama out of like the starvation that was happening at Chiwanki, Camp Chiwanki. Like, I, I don't, one, I don't believe you that there was starvation. It was clearly not starvation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just imagining a bunch of like fat little kids complaining that they want more food. It's like, well, I, I just, who cares? I don't care. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're, you're door to door in the dorms and girls laughing at you and stuff. I, I'm not really, I don't really care about that either. Yeah. So I'm just getting like immaturity from this statement. And I think you like, don't get me wrong. Plenty of 22 year olds go straight to law school, but this is not differentiating you from all those other 22 year olds. And if I'm, if I'm looking at your application and if I'm thinking, oh, wow, you might be a little bit immature for law school, this personal statement is reinforcing that. Yeah. And uh, immaturity, you know, youth is not something that you want to be playing up in your personal statement. Yeah. Because lawyering is some super serious shit. Agreed. Anything else? No. Nope. I, 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 I mean, so tell me about something that makes you look mature. Uh, maybe there was something in your class presidency that, you know, other than just the door-to-door campaigning, maybe there was something else there that is worthy of, an, of a story. Yeah something in your travels, something on the crab boat. I guess I would also say to Augie, you know, like consider actually taking a gap year or two. If, if this is the best you've got, then it's like, hmm, maybe you do need a bit more seasoning before you apply to law school. Yeah. At least that's the, impre- cause I don't know you at all, Augie. So, you know, uh, I mean, that's the impression that this is giving me. Yeah. This is going to be a nice contrast when we get to Trent's personal statement. It is. It's worth noting that you said, Ben, that you were still working on this this morning. Um, the, the personal statement and, and any piece of writing is never really done. Yeah. It's just, here's what I got right now, you know, and eventually at some point you have to submit it. Yeah. And we're getting real close with Trent. So Trent did our personal statement service and um, we're both real proud of how this is turning out. It's, it's almost done, but we, every time we look back at it, we, we continue to have tweaks, you know? And I mean, Mm -hmm. I do that when I look at my six LSAT books that I wrote, like at some point you have to just say, well, print it. Yep. But when I look back at it, of course I find (laughs) issues and stuff. And I, I do, I do go back and like fix typos and things because the books print on demand, but I'm never, I'm never fully satisfied with how it turned out. And it, it's not about perfect. Yeah. But 
And I think you'll be able to see that Trent's personal statement, there's a lot more maturity coming through. And it's also showing instead of telling. Um, anyway, okay, here we go. Ready? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay. Starts with a quote, which I don't normally recommend, but this is an, this is a, I, this, I feel like it gets action going here pretty quickly. And it's related to Trent. Yes. So nothing else I say, said the mission commander is to leave this room. I grinned. I was in the airspace security briefing room in Washington, D.C. The Coast Guard was sending me on another adventure. To date, I'd been stationed at eight duty stations around the country, all before my 22nd birthday. At my current unit, I maintain and serve as an air crewman on MH-65 Dolphin helicopters. My two main missions are traditional search and rescue and airspace security for the Capitol and the President of the United States. To get this coveted position, I had to go through months of training at a Coast Guard Advanced School, or A School, and a competitive application process that evaluated my academic, extracurricular, and fitness records. You want to make any comments about that first paragraph? It's concise. It's got a lot of facts in it. Yep. You know, he's 22, but he's also been at eight duty stations around the country. And, and when you have armed services in your resume, it just immediately makes you look more mature than the typical, you know, college student. Yeah. I mean, we can comment on this, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious how the listeners feel as they listen to this, but it just, it seems to speak for itself in so many ways. Okay. You know, I don't know. Yep. Maybe we make comments at the end. Sure. Okay. Soon after reporting to this A school, I fractured my tibia and fibula. My command gave me the option of disenrolling and going back to a ship or small boat. Without hesitation, I decided to stay. I didn't want to give up this opportunity of a lifetime despite my new challenges. When my class marched around the base, I crutched right behind them. I joked that having a broken leg made things easier because I had to shine only one boot for our uniform inspections instead of two. When my class would do routine physical training tests, I did everything they did, including various calisthenics and a 1.5-mile run, or, in my case, a 1.5-mile crutch. At our base-wide Coast Guard anniversary celebration, my command organized a 5K fun run. Because I signed up for the run before I broke my leg, I crutched the whole 3.1 miles, completing what turned out to be a near-world record time for someone with crutches. A year later, I now work as an avionics electrical technician, AET. One of my main responsibilities is troubleshooting avionics problems with our helicopters. A memorable repair happened on Christmas Day about a month after I reported to the station. Because it was a slow part of the search and rescue season, our unit was minimally staffed. One of our helicopters was trying to take off when its avionics system failed. As chance would have it, I was the only AET on duty. As a new technician, I felt the pressure of our flight crews, our commanding officer, and those we serve depending on me to fix a problem I'd never seen before. Sorry, that I'd never seen before. Using my training, I deciphered the helicopter's wiring schematics, conducted diagnostic tests, and determined that the culprit was a faulty antenna. I quickly replaced it, returning the helicopter to mission-capable status. The public rarely calls upon the Coast Guard when all is well. They often ask for help when they are experiencing some of their worst days. Similarly, through my father, a retired judge and practicing trial attorney in Wyoming, 
I saw how the public calls upon lawyers when they're going through their darkest days. I also caught a glimpse of the hard work and dedication required to provide effective legal representation. As a child, I remember riding with my mother to pick up my father from his office at three in the morning because he had stayed late to prepare for a trial. After I started working as a runner for his law practice, I saw him go to court, meet with clients, and draft legal documents. Because I couldn't pursue this kind of work until after college, I joined the Coast Guard. Now, after serving in the Coast Guard for four years, I'm looking forward to studying the law so that I can eventually help the public as an attorney. Lots of facts. And impressive ones, in my opinion, for someone who's tons 22. Of facts. <laughs> yeah. Tons of facts and tons of just, it, it's, you know, it says so much when you say things like, I crutched around behind my class. Yeah. You don't have to say, because I am so dedicated and hardworking, I crutched around behind them. And through crutching behind them, I learned that perseverance, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to say all the editorialization. You just say what you did. Which is some of the things that we needed to help Trent with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be to be yeah. honest. Because it's interesting to hear this now and to hear these experiences. It's like these experiences are brought into focus and they're right. easy to see because we're focusing on the facts and what happened. But when Trent started this out, obviously he's done this stuff. So he's got good things to write about, but it was not clear. It was jumbled in it with had a, a bunch lot of, of other stuff. It had a lot of military speak, a lot of, if I recall correctly, it had a lot of military speak, military jargon that wasn't really explained or useful. It had a lot of, and then it had just a lot of telling and these, mm -hmm. the details didn't shine because they were just buried in all of the telling. Right. You get one detail and I think we'd say, Hey Trent, like, can you tell us more about this? Like, I want to know what you're saying here, but it, it, it's, it's this experience or this event that you want to unpack and start telling us details about. And and one thing that's interesting is that when people start talking about experiences, they may tell you several sentences or several paragraphs about that experience. And then you chop that down into <laughs> three or four sentences, but those sentences are so rich with facts because you're you're weaving in those facts that they told you over two or three paragraphs. You're like, pluck yeah. this, pluck that, pluck this, put it all together. And now you have a story that moves quickly from one event to the next. But as it does so, it proves to the reader that you're experienced, that you're hardworking, et cetera. And yeah. Trent never says that here. Right. One detail that I would want to point out is the um, this when he does the fun run on crutches for 3.1 miles. Yeah. And then completes what turned out to be a near world record for time for someone with crutches. Yeah. Remember how that was in the like his earlier drafts? Remember what yeah. he wanted to say in his yeah. earlier drafts? Yeah, I do. His earlier drafts are like, it was a world record except for of some technicality. And then he was explaining the technicality. <laughs> he was explaining the technicality and how he didn't actually get the world record, but it actually is the world record. Yeah. And we were just like, well... <laughs> that's great but you can't say that dude you you can't say it should be a world record except for i got screwed like that just doesn't it's not a good look it's also just over it's way it's way too long and wordy and it's like people spend too much time talking about things they shouldn't and not enough time talking about the things that they should 
I mean, yeah, I it's already that's, impressive that's vague advice, enough. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, talk about all the things you should talk about, <laughs> not the things you shouldn't. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It. It's. Uh, well. Anyway, it, it it worked out really well. I think for for Trent. Um, I'm real happy with this. It just notice. I mean, if if these are two 22 year olds, if this is a tale of two 22 year olds, yeah. To compare what how Augie appears after what Augie chose to present and how Trent appears after what Trent chooses to present. Like which one of those would you like to be your attorney? Yeah, think about this too. Trent's is six hundred and two words. Augie's is nine hundred and twelve. So <laughs> wow. two thirds the length, yet I feel like there was a lot more information conveyed. So much more. I mean, Trent has taught us what it's like to be a helicopter mechanic for the Coast Guard. Yep. And a like really badass, you know, athlete, it sounds like, from from being injured and continuing to run or crutch with the squad. I love the joke. I, I I love that joke that the broken leg made it easier because you only have one boot instead of two for inspection. Yep. I love that so much. It's just like, yep, here's it. And it's just a toss off. It's just one sentence. It doesn't, it's not oversold, but it is a joke. You know, like you're gonna, like somebody's gonna look at that and get a half a chuckle and appreciate that. Yeah. Now I should send out a warning. I can almost anticipate it. We're going to get personal statements to talk about joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those privileges have been preemptively revoked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, and, and I mean, just little details like this, this repair that Trent chooses to present, like this actually happens on Christmas day. It just makes him look like such a serious person. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not saying that Trent is like better than Augie. We're just saying, Augie, you need to, you, you need to really like choose what you got to think about what stories you're going to tell and banging on the door as a freshman and having girls laugh at you <laughs> or the, the food crisis at the, at the camp for boys. It's just, it, I don't know. These just seem so, they just, they just seem so trivial. And I, I'm sure you have much more interesting, much more adult stuff that you could talk about. Now, I can already hear some listeners probably like bemoaning the fact that they're not in the Coast Guard, right? That itself is pretty impressive and cool. And they're saying, well, I didn't do that, so I don't have things to write about. You don't have to save the day like Trent did here on Christmas. Um, and you don't have to break your leg. Uh, just think, think about things that you're good at, that you are passionate about. I'm sure there are many things that you excel extraordinarily well at that Trent would fail at. And I'm not trying to, and, and so would Nathan and so would I, right? We just aren't as good at that thing as you are and as passionate about it as you are. And you need to shine a light on that part of your life and make us understand it better. Just like Trent has shined his light on the Coast Guard and what work he did there and helped us understand that. And now we're like, cool, man, that's awesome. It could be knocking on doors, you know, I, I'm not saying that that can't possibly work yeah. for Augie. Yeah. People don't do that very often. Right. But the way Augie did it with so much telling and not enough showing. Yeah. 
Augie didn't, Augie did it in a, in not, it wasn't humble enough. And that was Trent's right? problem first too, really. Yes. That's, well, it's everybody's problem. It's hard yeah. to write about yourself and paint yourself in the best possible light while also coming off as humble. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if you, the second you start overselling it, then you make your reader resistant and your readers just rolling their eyes as you go on and on about how diligent and hardworking you are. And instead you just need to say the facts. And yeah. if you plainly say facts, then the reader starts to go, Oh wow, you did that. Oh wow. You did that. Oh boy. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. You know? And so it, the door knocking on doors can absolutely be the thing, but you know, I, I would maybe need to hear how many doors it was you knocked on. I, I guess I would also want to hear just, did this come through in any other aspect of your life other than the elections in the college dorms and in this one conversation that you had at camp? Like, has this professionally or academically paid dividends in any other way? Can you demonstrate yourself like being really good at having these difficult conversations maybe in some other ways? Like maybe we just need more, more, like more facts and obviously less editorializing way less. And when we get to the, when we get those facts, then you start to parse through them and decide which ones are most telling. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And interesting. And you take those and you run with them. And you put them together smoothly. And I think Augie has the ability to join together great facts. Augie just needs to decide which those facts are. Sounds good. Yeah. All righty. I guess that's it. I guess that's it. You can go to the show notes if you want to see an awesome picture of Trent in his uh, helicopter uniform. Yeah, we will send Uh, that out. We will. Oh, we'll put it in the newsletter as well, huh? Yeah. That, awesome. Anything else or we're good? No, nah, I think I'll, uh, I guess I'll just look forward to seeing you tomorrow in Chicago. Oh yeah, that's right, man. See you tomorrow. Yeah. That was show number 163. Thanks all y'all for listening. It's nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.